All right, if you have a Bible, please open up to Acts chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back uh, sound booth. We'd love for you to follow along with us. If you grabbed one of those Bibles, we're on page 917. If you uh, use a digital Bible, we have a Bible app live event that we'd love for you to follow along with us uh, and and grab that and follow along. So as you're doing that, uh, earlier, right before the summer, um, my wife and I did um, this thing called ISR for our daughter, right? Because my awesome mom built a pool in their house, right? Well, not in their house, it's outside their house, okay? It was just semantics. Uh, but it's, it's like the perfect pool for grandparents to have for their grandkids to come over. And the best kind of pool, I've been preaching this for years, the best kind of pool is a pool that's at someone else's house, in my opinion, right? I don't have to clean it. I don't have to deal with it. I get to go over there and have fun. And then we get to leave and you get to deal with everything else. Uh, and, uh, and so we, my little mom, uh, she's here this morning. She's stayed five minutes away. And so we get to go over there and it's so awesome. But one of the fears is, hey, we have a little bitty kid um, that can walk now and I don't want her falling in the pool and not knowing what to do. And obviously she might not be able to learn how to completely swim on her own, but what ISR does is it teaches them if they're in an emergency situation, they uh, learn to float in the water where they fall in, they can float. And so my wife and I, we go to the, the class where they're going to be teaching my daughter how to stay alive. And they kind of warn you, they like kind of prep you like, hey, uh, this is going to be very, a very traumatic experience for you as a parent. And I'm like, I'm not even getting in the water. I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, the lady's like, hey, whatever you do, just stay in your seat. Okay. Like don't try to get in the pool, no matter what you hear, what you think's happening, just trust me. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. Right. And then I gave her my daughter, like precious little baby girl that we fought so hard to get. And uh, she like swirls her around in the water and, and Rowan's loving it. Right. And then all of a sudden she just like, let's go. And my daughter goes underwater. And this is like, as a dad, uh, my single greatest fear is, uh, is this moment that's happening. And she just lets her stay underwater for like, it felt like 13 minutes. All right. <laughs> it was probably like two or three seconds, but it felt like a long time. And I'm like, <laughs> and she comes out of the water and, and Rowan, we're grateful. She does not cry a lot. Our daughter does not cry a lot. I understand that that's not normal. She doesn't cry a lot. She cries when she's hungry or when something's bad happening to her. And she came up out of the water, took a breath, and screamed bloody murder. Like, this lady is trying to kill me. What is she doing? And I'm over there like, she said I can't get out of this chair, but I'm about to karate chop this lady, right? Like, (laughs) what are you doing? And then, so she gets her to calm down. And I'm like, okay, so that was a good first day dunks her like 25 more times. And I'm like, this is some sort of FBI, CIA torture chamber type thing. Like she is trying to make my daughter never want to swim again, right? Like I don't even want to swim at this point. I'm like, thank you. I know that we had six weeks with you, but one day was plenty. We will be fine. I'm going to get some concrete and fill up my mom's pool. No problem, right? It is terrifying. But eventually... They teach her how to uh, kind of turn her body over and float to the water, uh, to the top of the water where you can get some air, starfish. 
and, uh, and then they flip her over upside down and teach her how to roll over. And at the end, we put her in like a winter coat and everything and just kind of like toss her in the water. And she like flips over and floats. And she's like, hey. And I'm like, okay, okay. I'm glad we did this now. When we first started doing that, I was a little skeptical. I heard good things, but I saw with my eyes sheer fear uh, coming from my daughter, and I was a little nervous. And, and the reality is, sometimes God asks us to do things that are, like Justin said, way out of our comfort zone, right? Something like, you want me to do what? No, 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 I don't think I heard you correctly. That is not in my, in my wheelhouse. That's not something I would like to do or feel comfortable doing. But sometimes God asks us to do these kinds of things. And the reality is God is, uh, he, he's not sitting up in heaven just kind of passively watching the world go by. He is actively participating in every aspect of our lives and the lives around us in this world. And he's asking us to come alongside him and, and, and participate in that. And so today, we're going to look at how that looks in our own lives, right? We, we looked at this passage um, last week, and we looked at Saul's perspective. Today, we're going to look at Ananias' perspective. So catching up, um, this man named Saul, who was terrorizing Christians, he had, uh, he's essentially a bounty hunter going out to go catch more Christians in Damascus. On his way to Damascus, he encounters Jesus, right? There's a light from heaven and a voice, and he comes face to face with Jesus, and he is forever changed by that encounter. He's, he is blind at this point, and he walks to Damascus with, his, with the people that are alongside of him, and he fasts and prays for three days. And then we see um, another character enter into the story, and his name is Ananias. In verse 10 of chapter 9, so we're going to pick up, it says this, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come and, uh, in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here, uh, he is here uh, with authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. And the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry, out, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him much, uh, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which uh, you came, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately some of the scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So uh, we're going to look at when God asks you to do that, how do we respond? Uh, because I believe, I truly believe that you guys here, church family here, um, that you're probably willing, right? Like you would say, I am willing. Because um, that's the question. Are you willing to do what God is asking you to do? Are you willing, are you willing to be used by God? And, and I truly believe that you would say, yes. Um, but, but the reality is, what does this really look like? That's kind of where we're at right now, 
Um, and so when God calls, our response should be, here am I, right? Just like Ananias, he said, here am I, Lord, um, use me, right? And we see this happen over and over in the Old Testament. It happened to Abraham. It happened with Jacob. It happened with Moses. It happened with Samuel and David and Isaiah. And we can keep going on. We see all these people in the Old Testament, specifically when they are encountered by God, when God calls on them, their initial response, here I am, God. Here I am. Here I am. Um, and I wonder how we would respond if God called upon us. Is our response a, a, a hearty, here I am, here, like use me, like whatever you want, because um, our natural response should, uh, when the Lord calls on us, should be willingness. But, if we're going to be honest, most of our natural response when the Lord asks us to do something is something along the lines of, let me see. If we're going to be honest, when God calls you to do something, oftentimes we're like, let me see. Let me see if that fits in with my plans for my own life. Let me see if that fits in with my schedule that I have right now. Let me see if I can carve out some time for you, Lord Jesus. He's asking us to do something. And oftentimes our natural response, initial response is, yeah, I'm willing, but let me make sure it works in with what I have planned already for my life. I, uh, you know, I get to ask people a lot um, in my position here to help out, right? Can, you want to serve in student ministry? You want to go on mission trips? You want to help out here? Yeah, help out there. And most people's response is, let me see. Right? And I understand that. You need to make sure that you're going to make a commitment. Right, God wants you to count the cost before we follow after Him. But we use that as a crutch, don't we? Let's just be honest. We use our busyness, we use our plans for own, our own life as a crutch so that we don't have to go outside of our own comfort zone. Well, God, I don't know if I can go to Bolivia on a mission trip because I don't have a passport. That's not hard to do. You can fill it out online, take your picture, send it to the government, and they send you this passport, and you can leave our country and go serve the Lord. Well, I don't know if I have the money. You know what? God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. If he has to send one off to be slaughtered, to make you some money, he will provide the money. So often we have the excuses for when God asks us to do something. Our response should be, here am I, Lord. Whatever you ask, I will do. But, but we're not. That's not always our response. What would it look like? Have you ever thought about this? What would it look like if the people of the New Testament, the characters that we read about in the Bible, these real people, what, if, what would it look like if we replaced them in these stories? What would it look like if you were Ananias? Hey, the Lord's calling upon you. Yeah, Lord, I'm willing. Okay, so what I'm going to need you to do is go to uh, this person who literally has your name on a list of people to to bind, right, to arrest, and bring back to Jerusalem so they can torture you. I want you to go over to their house. I want you to pray for them. Not only just like pray for them, I want you to put your hands on them, like lay hands on them and pray for them. 
Okay, Lord, um, I see where you're going with this one. I have uh, next Thursday at about 3.15 to about 3.25, I think I can possibly work you in as long as my lunch meeting doesn't go a little bit long. What if that was Ananias' response? Would we, would be, we be reading about him right now? Probably not. Would, uh, what would happen, what would have happened to Saul? He's waiting on a man named Ananias to come and share with him grace of God. Share with him the good news of Jesus. What would it look like if you and I were the characters in the Bible? Would the New Testament church have advanced the same way? Because American Christians, we sure, we sure are uh, really good at making excuses for why we don't need to do things. And I worked a lot this week, so I'm not sure if I can make it today. Or, oh, yeah, I know, that, um, I know that I'm a really, really gifted teacher by the Lord, but I do that every day during the week. I'm not sure if I want to do that on a Sunday or lead a small group and help other people learn about God. Because I'm kind of overworked as it is. I'm just throwing out examples. If those land, I mean, that's, that's the Lord. Uh, but when God calls, our response should be, here am I. Also, we need to think about who we're listening to, right? Because, <laughs> because Ananias like, talks back to God, which we could talk about that in a different sermon, right? But God asks him to do something, right? And he begins to say, well, well what I have heard is this guy named Saul has all this authority to blah, 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 blah. What he, he was listening to people share stories about this man named Saul. And, and the reality is, information is important, right? We need to be able to gather information about what we're doing and what we're, what we're thinking about. But oftentimes, information doesn't paint the whole picture. And in the church, one of the things that, one of the sins that goes overlooked the most is the sin of gossip. I, it is, because we, we like to mask it in a prayer request, don't we? We like to mask it in, I'm concerned about this person, so let me tell you about all their garbage, all their dirty laundry. And we all know that when we talk about people and not to people, it tends to hurt them, right? And the things that we're saying about them, we probably wouldn't say to their face. Or the way we're talking about them, we wouldn't say those things to their face. And we're, our biggest fear when we gossip is they might hear what we're saying about them because that might hurt them. And that is true. When you say things about people, it tends to hurt them. But another thing happens when we talk about people and not to people is the person that you are talking to is hearing these things about these people. And that changes their perspective of that person. It changes how they interact with that person. And it almost happened in Ananias' case. It almost caused him to be disobedient to the Lord. 
Because we, we place stumbling blocks in front of people when we gossip about other people. We put stumbling blocks to the point where God is asking them to go forward, but because they have all this other data that they have gathered from all the different gossip sessions that they've had at the church or at their, in their neighborhood or whatever, it changes their perspective of that person. And they say, well, Lord, but, but Lord, I know that they are this kind of person. I know that this is their natural response to things. God... God doesn't care what you know or what you think you know. You have a limited view of the world around you. God's view is unlimited. He knows exactly what's happening in their lives because the things that they knew about Saul, they were in fact true, but they had no clue what happened these past 72 hours in Saul's life. So when we gossip, when we talk about people, when we, when we try to share prayer requests with people, what we're doing is we're hurting the people that we're talking about, but we're also hurting the people we're talking to. And we're causing dissension between us and the people around us and between us and God. And here's the reality. When that becomes, begins to cause people to stop listening to the Lord, we are in big trouble because, because here's the truth. When you, what you hear from God should always trump what you heard from man. Always trump what you heard from man. Even if you know the things that you heard to be true and factual, it should always trump what you heard from them. What the Lord asks you to do should always trump what you heard from man. There's lots of people that say that they're willing and, and I truly believe that, that we are willing, initially willing. But when it gets down to it, deep down, do we really trust God? Do you trust God? And trust kind of has two uh, layers to it, right? Trust requires belief and action, right? Trust requires belief and and action. This is important for us to understand because uh, God had a plan for Saul. Even though it didn't make sense, God had a plan for Saul. Uh, And Ananias didn't know what that plan was, but God called him to do something, right? And God doesn't always have to explain why he wants us to do something, right? Parents, when you ask your kids, hey, honey, can you clean your room? Most often the response is, why? Well, because I brought you into this world and I can take you out just as quickly, right? Why? Because I asked you to. Like, your kids aren't always entitled to a response for something that you're asking them to do, right? Parents are like, that'll preach, right? Hey, you're the same way. If God asks you to do something, you're not entitled to know why he wants you to do that. We have to trust, we have to believe that he has everything under control. And, and, and this belief, it's not blind faith. That's what I'm not saying. Belief is not blind faith. Belief is rooted in God, both God's uh, history and his character, right? God's history, what he has done, the things that we know that he's done in his past and in our past and the people around us uh, in their past and his character, the kind of person or the kind of God, the way he interacts with the world around us. So our belief is not blind. It's rooted in both God's history and his character. 
So we can look at, okay, God's asking me to do this thing, and it's completely crazy, and I have no idea why he would want me to go into this person's home. But I know that God, time and time again, has surprised me with his plan for my own life. And I know that he would never put me in a place that he wouldn't want me to be. The safest place that we could possibly be, it could be, is in the center of God's will. So we have to trust that both his history, the way he's interacted in our lives and the lives around us, and his character is going to put us where we need to do, with what we need to do. And so there's belief that comes along with it, right? And so the more we know God, the better we know God, the the easier it is for us to follow after him. So there's belief, but that has to be accompanied by some sort of action, right? Because we can believe all we want back here, uh, but, but if we don't do anything about that, there... Is that, what is it? Is it really belief? So that belief needs to be accompanied by action because that's what really looks like. Uh, that's what trust, trust really looks like. And what we see Ananias do is really, really interesting. And, and oftentimes we can skip over it because it's really quick in a verse. It says this um, in verse 17. So Ananias departed. He leaves a safe place. He departed and he entered the house goes into a very unsafe place, potentially, right? He enters a house where he knows, at least God has told him, this man named Saul who has his name, this bounty hunter has his name on a list, is inside. He enters the house. Then he lays hands on him and prays for him. So it doesn't say like, hey, uh, Saul, uh, God uh, blesses you, okay? Cool, all right? And, and, like with this hand on the door now, I'm ready to run. Now he goes over to him, lays his hands on him and begins to pray, but he doesn't stop there. He takes it a step further and he prays, brother Saul. Brother Saul, he welcomes him into the family of God, which at this point was probably pretty underground because there's people like Saul out to catch them and, and, and persecute them. And so the, he is letting Saul into the inner circle. He's letting them into know all the inner workings of what God was doing in Damascus there. It was a big risk, not only for his own life, but for the lives around him and his people, his family. He welcomes him, welcomes him in. He trusted God. He believed all the things that he knew about God to be true. So he acted upon that belief. He trusted God. Our actions, they show to the people around us uh, that we are, are faithful, that, that God is worthy to be praised. When we kind of stand around passively and not do anything, the world around looks at us and they think, hey, you guys go to this country club on Sunday mornings. But when our faith begins to interact and change every aspect of our lives, people around us don't think, hey, church is somewhere that you go on Sunday mornings. They begin to see the lives of Christians impact the world around them. And that was what was happening in Damascus. And that's what we need to be happening here in the world around us. Because we don't know the implications for our actions. Saul became Paul. And if you're new to church, Paul is a big deal. He writes more than half of the New Testament. Saul had huge 
impact on the early church growing and exploding. What is God asking you to do? What is God looking, who is God looking for that you could help bring to him? Because here's the deal. God might be asking you to go talk to a Saul that's going to become Paul. And that person might be the last person on earth that you want to talk to. For whatever reason. It might not be because you hate them. It might be because you're intimidated by them. It might be because you're afraid of what that might do to the relationship that you've built. We, as followers of Jesus... We did nothing to earn the grace that God gives us. It is completely free to us. But somehow, some way, as we've been walking with the Lord, we feel like we earned it. And because you worked so hard to get to where you are, we're greedy. We're unwilling to share that with people who need it. You didn't earn God's grace. Quite opposite. He gave it to you freely. And He gave it to you freely so that you can give it to others freely. Not so you can judge whether someone is worthy of the gospel or not. So the question that's been haunting me all week long is this question. What is one thing that you would hate for God to ask you for you to do? What's one thing that you would like, please don't ask me that. Please don't ask me that. Please don't ask me. Because that's what Ananias was doing when he was hearing, okay, there's a guy, um, he, he's from Tarshish. He's like, please don't say Saul. Please don't say Saul. Please don't say Saul. His name is Saul. What's one thing that God... If he asked you, you would be so disappointed that he asked you to do that because you have so much frustration or hate. Or maybe more precisely, who is one person that you would be so frustrated with the Lord if he asked you to share the good news with them? Who is that person? And I'm not saying God's saying, go find them right now. (laughs) He's on the street called straight. He's in a house. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if we are unwilling to share the gospel with anyone, that's a problem. And if we're unwilling to go when God calls us, that's a problem. But but, but I, I will go, but in a little bit. Let me do these things first, and then I will do what you're asking me to do. We say this a lot around here. Delayed obedience, it's still disobedience. If God is asking you to do something, if He's calling you to do something, and you're not doing it, you are, in, you are being disobedient to the Lord. So what is He asking you to do? Who is He asking you to share the good news with that you received? And press it a little bit further. When are you going to do it? Because we can talk about, oh yeah, I probably should do this, I probably should do that. But when are you going to do it? And I want to give you a little hint. 
in order for you to do that, you're going to have to get over yourself. Because you are so afraid of ruining that relationship or holding or letting go of that bitterness or whatever it is. You're so afraid of that that you're unwilling to share the gospel with someone, something that you didn't deserve, that you received freely. You're unwilling to share that with someone that God is asking you clearly to do, that someone has already built a relationship with, whether it's a good one or a bad one in your mind. He has placed that person in your life so that you might be able to share the gospel with them. Who are you to eliminate that? Who are you to say, God, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not willing to share the gospel with that person because of something I have in me? That's a you problem, not a them problem, not a God problem. Until we're unwilling, uh, or as long as we're unwilling to share the gospel with anyone, we're living in direct disobedience to what God has called us to do. He's called us to share the gospel with all people, not only the people we like, not only people that look like us, not only the people that can benefit us in a positive way, all people. So when are you going to get over yourself? And take the step of faith and trust that God has a plan. Believe that he is all that he said he was and and take a step, take a step of action in sharing the good news with someone. Because I don't know about you, if you step outside the walls of this church, the world that we live in, it's not going towards the Lord at all. It's headed in the opposite direction. And who knows, maybe the person that God wants you to share the gospel with is just like the the man in this story. Sheer evil encountered with Jesus changes the course, the history of the church. What if we treated every single person that God calls us to share the good news with as if they might become Paul? There's a lot of pressure there, absolutely. The pressure's not on us. It's God that brings salvation. We just get to be the messengers. We just get to step out and say, all right, Lord, you're asking me to do this. I'm going to trust you. So when? I think this week's a good time, isn't it? Let's don't keep pushing the ball down the road. Let's don't keep saying, well, maybe next week, maybe when my calendar opens up, let's do it now. Because we're not promised tomorrow. And delayed obedience is still disobedience. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I'm grateful uh, that I don't deserve the grace that you give to me, but you willingly give it to me. I'm so grateful for that. And so for the people that are on my heart and the hearts of uh, the men and women in this room, Lord. I pray that we do not wait any longer to share the good news with those around us. That person that's in our mind right now, give us an opportunity, which you do often, and let us take advantage of that opportunity this week. Because that person could be Paul. They could have the potential to shift 
the entire culture, the entire climate that we are living in right now. So let us be faithful to say yes. Say, here am I. To take that step of action. If that's something that you're planning on doing this week and you want someone to pray with you and to be praying for you as you go and do that, I'm going to be standing in the back. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to cheer you on as you're going to share the gospel with someone. Maybe you're here tonight and today and you're like thinking, you know, I don't know if I've ever started a relationship with Jesus. I don't know. You talk about this grace being free. Uh, I've been trying to earn it my whole life. I've been trying to do good things. Uh, but if it's free, I'm willing to, 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 to give this a shot. If that's you, know, I'll be in the, let's, let's definitely have that conversation. I would love to talk to you about that. Lord Jesus, give us boldness and courage. I love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.